let's continue our series we began last week on the praying for rain. How do we, um, how do we let Jesus reign in us and through us? I know the Bible says a lot about the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus Christ and, and he should reign in our lives and I want that to happen, but how do I make it happen? How, how do I, uh, mature? And I think that it's a growth process, uh, to the extent that I submit myself to his will, he reigns more and more. Um, John recognized Jesus for who he was. Uh, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yet, when John was in prison, ready to be put to death by Herod, he sent some messengers to Jesus and said, Are you really the Christ? Really? And Jesus sent word back to John, didn't rebuke him for his question, but he just sent word back and said, You tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. You know, that was just a glimpse of the kind of kingdom that Jesus was introducing into the world. Uh, if that's the nature of the kingdom of God, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, uh, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, I want to be under the reign of the king of that kingdom. That's the kind of place that I would love to live where I would love to live. You know, it doesn't matter who wins in a political race. We're just coming right off of an election. It doesn't matter who wins in a political race. Um, whoever is president, somebody's going to say, well, even our best president, if we could come to consensus and say, this by far was the best president that the United States ever had, there were still things about his presidency that we would not like, we would wish were better, different doesn't matter who it is, there's never the perfection that you see. But who can look at the reign of Jesus and say, well, you should do this a little bit better. This is not quite right if you would only improve. There's perfection in the reign of Christ in the kingdom of God. And so to be given the opportunity to be a citizen of that kingdom and to let God reign over me, I, I volunteer for that. And I hope that you will too. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, there's a statement. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's where much of this information will be coming from. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Jesus tells the disciples how to pray. And he says, uh, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we know that the coming, God has had a kingdom, he's had a reign over his people from the time of Adam until now. But today, and in the first century as Jesus was building his church, today the kingdom is realized in his church. That's where he lives out his reign in the lives of men and women. Um, it didn't exist prior to that time, the church, but he had a kingdom nonetheless, and he reigned in the hearts of men and women before but now the kingdom of God is, is in his church. That's where it is realized. And so we today, as God's people, have the challenge of being the kingdom of God. The church is the kingdom of God. Jesus is our head. And, and our challenge is to live in such a fashion that God's will will be done in our lives 
like it is in heaven. Well, how do you think God's will is done in heaven? I think it's done to perfection. I think if God says this, that's done. I don't think anybody balks at what God says. I don't think anybody argues with what God says. I think they obey God. That's the way it works in heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying in my kingdom, among those in whom I reign, I want God's will to be done here as it is there. And that's challenging. But it can be done. In fact, if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, <clears throat> part of this sermon as Jesus uh, is giving this Sermon on the Mount. He says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I have to think that that caused people to jo- drop their jaw. I have to think that people were thinking, wow, there's no hope for me then. How can I ever live up to the scribes and the Pharisees? Don't you know who they were? They were the religious elite of the day. For Jesus to come and say, listen, you have to be better in terms of righteousness than these people. And they were the model. I mean, you look, you want to know about religion, you you put a picture of them up. That's who they were. They were the religious elite. The scribes spent time uh, writing the Word of God and and, uh, making copies of Scripture. They lived holy lives. I mean, they dedicated their lives to to writing and rewriting Scripture so that we'd know what to do and what the Bible says. These Pharisees, they were separatists. They were, they were people who said, I'm fed up with worldliness. I'm fed up with the way that people live. We're getting back to the Bible. We're going to be Bible people, and we're going to follow the Word of God. And these are the people that were the Pharisees. They were intent on fulfilling the minutia of the law. And Jesus turns around and says, you see those folks over there, scribes, Pharisees? If you want to go and be a part of this kingdom of heaven, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds theirs. How? What what hope do I have? I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a fisherman. I just keep house and raise children. How, How can I possibly have a righteousness that exceeds these religious men? Well, that's the question. How can an ordinary, average, everyday, run-of-the-mill person have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, that's what we want to talk about. How can Christ reign in us? Last week, we talked about how he does it through service. Jesus went about doing good, and as we go about doing good, we're letting Jesus reign in us. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to minister and not be ministered unto. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those who serve and not who are served. And so that's how we live out the reign of Jesus in our lives today, by service. But I want to introduce you to three other uh, ways to allow Jesus to reign in us this morning. And the first way is this. He reigns in us through proper priorities. Look in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through, well, 16. He gives two illustrations 
concerning the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Christ, the person who says, Lord, reign in me, reign on me, reign through me. Here's what he says. You are salt and you are light. Well, what's salt and light do? Well, light shows the way. It, It lights the path. And he said, as a disciple of Christ, you need to be a light unto the world so that people can know how to find me. Uh, The priority of one whose life, in whose life Jesus reigns, is a priority that says, I'm trying to point people to Jesus. If that's not a priority in your life, you have misplaced priorities and Jesus isn't reigning in you to the extent that he wants to. Our everyday, the encounter, when we go to work, you may not work in a church. You may work at a telephone company. You may work at uh, Y12. You may work wherever. Don't ever lose your priority. You're to be a light to the world, to show them the way to Jesus. You're to be salt. Well, what, what does salt do? Well, salt preserves and also salt, uh, uh, you know, adds flavor to, uh, makes something even more appealing than what it already is. And, and uh, Christians should do both. We're to adorn, uh, another way of saying it, we're to adorn the doctrine of God to make it even more beautiful uh, by the way we live. But again, there's priority. Our li- What's the priority of your life? What is the main thing you're all about? Is it about retirement? Is it about your family? Is it about bank accounts? What's the main thing? Jesus says, I want the main thing to be about me. I want you to be salt. I want you to be light. I want you to be bringing people's attention to me. Let Jesus reign in you by that proper priority. Look at chapter 6 and verse 24. Jesus comes right out and says in that passage, No man can serve two masters, Um, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Again, we have a choice. What what are you living for, money or God? What's the pursuit of your life? Is it accumulation of things, or is it godliness? You have to make a decision. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, and this is a passage I think that is worth writing down and taking note of because in this passage we have a biblical worldview that differs from our worldview. You see, if we say, was a person faithful? The first thing that we look at, and oftentimes the only thing that we look at is, well, did they go to church? Well, is that person faithful? Yeah, he goes to church every week. That, that's how we kind of answer those questions. Going to church is often the, the criteria by which we judge faithfulness. God does it exactly the opposite. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, read with me as the Lord says this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In essence, if we were to kind of, you know, put that thought into today, God says, I wish you would know more about me than just coming to church. 
See, the burnt offerings, that, that, that represents worship. That's what they did. He said, rather than just going and going through the motions of this religious offering that you give to me, rather than that, you know what I really like? I really would wish you would get to know me. I wish you would get to learn about who I am. That's completely opposite today. God says, what I want more is I want you to know who I am. I'm, I'm more concerned about that than your worship. And we act as though worship is more, con- more important than what we do through the rest of the week. Is a person faithful? Well, what I want to know is do they go to church rather than do they study their Bible at home? Do they think about God? Do they, do they work on trying to get to know him better? That's what God finds. Priorities. If I want Jesus to reign in me, I have to have the same priorities. And the priority that God has is get to know me. Is that a pursuit in your life? Are you trying to get to know God more? Because, you see, when we do, you can't help but love him. You know, there's a song that we sing, and I've quoted this before, but I like it because it, it expresses this very thought about priority. This is why we're to study. This is why we're to grow in knowledge of God. The song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. No matter how good the world is, if you look upon Jesus, you'll have to love him. You can't turn away from him. That's the point. That's why God says, I desire that you get to... You know what? If you get to know God, you'll worship him. There are people who worship God, but they never get to know him. The one takes precedence over the other. And then again, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, a a lawyer comes to Jesus on one occasion and says, what's the greatest law? And you remember what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is... Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we do what we do, to love God. And if my priorities are not right, then I miss the reign of Jesus in my life. God isn't so much interested in you coming to church and being able to you know, put a check mark by your, uh, now I came to church, so everything's okay. He wants you to come to church. He wants you to assemble with the saints. Yeah, he tells us to do that. Not to do it is disobedience to his command. But is there something deeper? Is it a matter of just, because I've got to look at this sheet and I have to have all these check marks on it. Is that, is that why God wants it? Or is it the bottom line, because I want you to love God? Guys, Have your wives ever gone out of town for a few days and left you in charge? And then the day of her return comes around and you look at the house and you go, oh, I've got to get this place straightened up. And so you put the kids to work and you start working and you're trying to get everything. Why do you do that? Sometimes it's the wrong motive. I I want to present her with the list of things. Because if we do anything, you know, we say, look what I did. The wife can do it every day for 30 years, and it's supposed to. But if I do it once, you know, pay attention to what I just did. You know, I I did this. Sometimes we'll present them, you know, I did this and this and this and this and this while you were gone. Well, 
is that why you did it? So that somebody could come back and praise you for doing those things? Or should the better reason be, I did these things because I love you. And wanted to express my love to you through these things. You see, the, the commandments that we have are not an end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end. Why do we worship God? So that I can check it off and say I worship God today and show him? Or is it a way to show my love to him? Get our priorities right. When we keep love of God and our fellow man at the crux of our service and our all that we are and do, that allows Jesus to reign in us. Here's the second thing. If we want Jesus to reign in us, <clears throat> we need to uh, have proper motives. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses, well, the whole chapter really, but verses 1 through 18 in particular, the... Pharisees are brought up as an example. This is why we need to exceed their righteousness, because they did righteous things. They looked holy on the outside, but they had wrong motives. They, they prayed to be seen of men. Listen, folks, I'm going to say a prayer, so I want you all to... I had a guy come to me one time, and he wanted to rehearse a prayer that he was going to, to pray in the assembly. He doesn't do that very often or didn't do it very often, and he wanted me to hear what he was going to pray. And he had this vocabulary that was way out of the range of anything that he ever really does. And I said, why are you using these words? And he said, because I want to impress people. I want them to know that I'm intelligent. Wrong motive. That's not why you pray to God. Not to draw attention to yourself. Not to make somebody think anything of you. This is that's so shallow. It's the wrong motive. The Pharisees prayed long prayers to be heard and seen of men. They fasted. Fasting's a good thing, but not the way they did it. They fasted so that people would look at him and say, oh, did you see it? He doesn't look well. Boy, he, he needs to get something to eat. He looked weak, kind of bad. Did you notice that? He looked a little peaked. And, and all these people were talking about him. And, well, it's because he's fasting. He's not eaten since three days ago. And, you know, and all, wow, three days. He hadn't eaten for three. Boy, that guy is really committed. He wanted people to think and talk about him in that fashion. That's not what fasting is about. That's the wrong motive. And then even giving of alms. You know, here's a person and they need some help or they come by. It. Can you imagine uh, somebody, as we pass the collection plates just a little bit ago, right before the collection plate comes to them, they go, <coughs> excuse me, I'm about to drop my check in here and, and drop a check in. Uh, maybe even announce how much they had so you could see it. I, I do remember, well, I won't even go there. Uh, there's another story there, but I'll tell it some other time. But um, is that why you give? To make people go, wow, he gave that much? Wrong motives. If Jesus is to reign in you, you have to do what you do for the right reasons. That's why we have to be better than the Pharisees and the scribes. 
Oh, they did religious things, but they did them with the wrong motive. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, even if you give your body to be burned, but you don't do it out of love, you've wasted everybody's time. You've accomplished nothing. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 that whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. So does Jesus reign in you? Why do you do what you do? Do you do it to cause people to look at you and say, wow, I'm impressed. Wow. Is that why you do what you do? Or do you do what you do in order to bring glory to God? So the people will look through you and see Jesus working reigning in your life. That's where we need to be. We can allow Jesus to reign in us if we'll reign in our motives and do what God wants us to do for the right reason. And last, Jesus reigns in us through proper allegiance. You know, in this Sermon on the Mount, um, when you look at all the things that he begins saying, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said over and over again, no less than six times. He says, you have heard that it was said. Do you notice how he doesn't say, you have read where it is written? That's not what he said. Because what he's referring to are the the, 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 uh, traditions of men, the way that they have twisted and misapplied scripture. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy or love your neighbor, hate your enemy. God never said that. They said that. But that's what they had heard. Is it easy for people to give more attention and credence to the words of men than to the words of God? If that's the case, Jesus isn't reigning in you. If I want Jesus to reign in me, I, I let the word of men be just that, the word of men. There are opinions I can take and or I can leave, but the word of Jesus is supreme. I, I have to submit my will to his. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, you know, there are people who draw near to me with their tongue. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Matthew 17 and verse 5, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember Moses, Elijah, great men, lawgivers, prophets of the Old Testament. God says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. We need to allow our allegiance be only to Jesus. It doesn't matter what our mother or our father has said. It doesn't matter what the... The traditions have been. It doesn't matter what we've always done. Bottom line is, what does God's word say? What does God say on this issue? That's how we allow Jesus to reign in us. And as we bring this lesson to a close, I want to remind us of those three things. We need to have proper priorities. Jesus has to be everything. We have to have proper motives. We have to have proper allegiance. And as we pursue those things, along with service that we talked about last week, those are ways that God will reign in us. And we talk about praying for rain.
And, and I, as we brought the lesson to a close last week, I just wanted to remind you, do you remember what it was like when you would go outside and not worry about getting wet? Do you remember what it was like when you could just leave the umbrella inside and go out and just get soaking wet and enjoy it and be enthralled with it? Kids know how to enjoy the rain. I'm making a play off of that and saying, listen, we as children of God need to learn how to revel and find joy and pleasure in the reign of Jesus Christ on our lives. It's not a burdensome way to live. It is a good and upright and satisfying and fulfilling way of life. We serve in a kingdom whose king is perfect. His reign in our life can result in nothing but good. I invite you to pray for rain. Do the things that allow you to let Jesus live in and through you and reach other people with the good news of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, if you're not yet a citizen in the kingdom of God, if Jesus does not yet reign in your life, we invite you to participate in his reign. Let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With regard to your life in particular, is it? I can tell you what God's will is to believe in Jesus, turn from your sin and be baptized. That's God's will. Acts 2.38 says so. Is he reigning in you? Have you submitted yourself to his reign? If not, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you are a part of the kingdom, but you've not really lived out his reign in your life. You're, You're a citizen, but you live a little bit in rebellion. Make it right. Ask him to forgive you and let him reign in you once again. If you need the prayers of the church, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.